Hi, I'm Parker. And I'm Chelsea. And we're from New York Toy Collective. And you're listening to Massocast. Thank you for downloading another episode. If you want to help support the show, of course, you can always donate some of your hard-earned coin by clicking the donate button on the Massacast website, massacast.com. You can also uh, promote it. You can give it uh, positive ratings on iTunes. Just give it a few stars. You don't have to write a whole thing about it. But that's just a way you can uh, help support the show. Or you can volunteer to be a guest on the show or volunteer someone else. Say, hey, I know someone who would be perfect. That's where most of the uh, guests come nowadays. Speaking of uh, past guests, the last episode with Kevin Allison from his uh, show Risk had Malin Blake, who's been on this show before, on his show. Wait, might, that's kind of confusing, but basically, Nalen tells a great story about being a gnome fondler. Go to risk-show.com and take a listen to Nalen in his usual genius. This episode, Stephen Elliott is back again, along with uh, Mistress Alex. He's been very busy since we last had him on, directing movies, writing screenplays, Alex was kind enough to bring him by the, uh, the studio, a.k.a. living room. And uh, here it is, conversation with uh, Alex and Stephen Elliott. You've been pretty busy in the last two years since you've been here. I guess so. I guess I, I always, um, I never, I never feel very busy. I rarely feel busy. Uh, but yeah, you know, we made a movie and now we're making another movie <clears throat> based on my novel, Happy Baby. So movie making takes a lot of time for sure, but there's there's so much like waiting when you're making a movie that it often feels like you're not doing anything. Last time you were here, you were talking about making the Adderall Diaries. Right. Well, uh, I was so James Franco had optioned the Adderall Diaries, and <clears throat> then I asked him if I could write the script, and so I wrote the script for him, and then I just kind of kept going. And, and I that wrote, was the first script that you wrote, right? That was the first time I'd ever written a serious script, and then I just kind of kept going i contacted my friend lorelei lee and we wrote a, a script about a young girl that gets into porn in san francisco and it was based in the san francisco armory right where kink.com is and uh, i asked james franco if he would be in my movie you know since i had written this script for him and uh he was like sure you know but I don't think he, uh, and he was, and he was in the movie, and he was great. I don't think he's ever read the script or seen the movie, but he was, he was great. Wait, you don't think he read the script if he was in the movie? <laughs> he definitely had not read the script <laughs> when he showed up to shoot it. You know, I, well, I've seen the movie. It, it, it surprises me that he, he didn't. He must be pretty damn good. I think or he was just saying stuff. I think he's amazing in the movie. Yeah, you know, yeah, I he think is. He's yeah, he's a great actor. He definitely. Is very specifically a character in that movie, like you know. yeah. But when, but he's been on talk shows and he's referred to it as a cameo, which makes me think that he's never actually seen the movie because he plays the male lead. So I don't actually. <laughs> or he could be just really humble. Yeah, yeah, I, I suppose so. Okay. <laughs> hey, you're yeah, welcome. Maybe you're right. He could. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I I always get the vibe whenever I see him on a talk show or something like that. He seems pretty chill about. He is chill. And he's really cool, and he's one. He's one hell of an actor. I mean, he just yeah. steps in front of and goes. I mean, he's, he's amazing. And like I said, he had not read the script, so yeah. he literally is reading the lines. Just kind of read over them real quick, and they would step in front of the camera and just deliver them. And it was amazing. Like it was, 
I've never seen anything quite like it. I mean, every actor has a different style and technique, but it was amazing. He's a, really a phenomenon. So even though he hadn't read it, I mean, you 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 directed it. I directed it, yeah. Uh, were you hoping the fact that he hadn't read it that he would get the opportunity to do the, the John Lovitz line? <clears throat> that didn't happen? That didn't happen? I don't know if that no. doesn't happen in movies. That well, that happens. People do that for sure, but... No, he would like he would look over his lines just before the shoot. He would literally it was as if he was just flipping pages. And then he would sit then he would get in front of the camera and just deliver them all of them pretty accurately. Yeah. Like it was it was it was surreal. I mean the guy's clearly uh just extremely intelligent and with it was kind of amazing recall. Well, let's talk about the movie because I was you said it was filmed in the armory? It was filmed in the San Francisco Armory. Because I definitely thought, okay, well, clearly this is about kink.com, or this is this this has aspects of kink.com. Yes. Um, and I wasn't sure if, while watching it, I wasn't sure, is this is this a dig at kink.com? Is this, or not, you know what I'm saying? Because it's, huh. if I was kink.com, I don't know if I'd want the behind-the-scenes stuff that happens displayed. So I wasn't sure if this was something that they were cool with or not, right? Well, I mean, we shot the whole thing there. Yeah. You know, we shot 70% of the movie in the armory. Yeah. Our production office was in the armory. The armory uh, has an equity stake in the movie. So they all, so, okay. you know, they but make... Like, also, like, there was nothing that seemed negative about no, the No, I don't think negative. I think, I think if was I was... pretty sexy and, like, cool looking and stuff, so... No, I, I totally agree. I guess, in my mind, I was wondering if... Because you know how some companies don't want to see how the sausage... Show how the sausage is made, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I wasn't sure if... As... Yeah. I, my know, only interaction with Kink.com has been purchasing their porn, right? Yeah. So, I don't know what their... Well, one thing, I mean, it's set in the armory, and it is... You know, I spent a lot of time in the armory. I live very close to the armory. You know, I worked with them on a reality show that we created mm-hmm. for HB, for Showtime that never actually went anywhere. But and Lorelai does a lot. Of work Lorelai like works that there well. a lot, so it is like it was always meant to be shot there. But at the same time, it's not Kink.com. You know, it's a other. It's a it's a different porn company, and it has elements of of other porn companies. It's not uh, a pure fetish play. Yeah. You know, it's a lot more vanilla because yeah. we real kink.com would just be kind of going too far, I felt like, for most people. I didn't want to make mm-hmm. bondage the center of the movie. It's hinted at, but it's yeah. not. Mm-hmm. So it's not kink.com, but, it, you know, it, it is. there are a lot of elements of it. And certainly, like, you have Heather Graham plays a, a porn director. And there's a lot of female directors at kink.com. And it's kind of a movement in porn in general, but especially in San Francisco. You see more yeah. and more. I really liked her role in the movie. Yeah, she's so, so sexy. And like I liked her because she was more I don't know, she she was sort of more I don't want to say downplayed or what you know what I mean? Like her personality was a little more muted or something. She's very natural and she has a kinda she shines, you know. Which was really intriguing. Like it was really enticing, yeah. Plus well, she's really hot. I like she looks like you. She's like Yeah. But, um, you know, as she's getting a little older... Slide. You're just going to let that slide? You're not going to say, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're not going to... I, I don't... I, I don't. I mean, I think she's really hot, and I agree that I think the same about myself. But, like, as far as, like, what we share aesthetically, I don't know. Blonde? Maybe we go to the same blonding people. But um, I think she looks better now than she did, you know, 15 years ago. I also think the same thing about myself. So you're right. We do have a, you're right. <laughs> you have we do a have lot, a lot of common. <laughs> This is the first time you've directed a, a movie. So Bob Cherry was the first time directing a movie, and it was random because 
you know, after I'd written the script for the Adderall Diaries for James, and he had said he would be in my movie, I was actually looking for a director. I was not planning on directing it myself. And, but, you know, we knew it was going to be a low budget, and his people told me that he didn't want to be in something that's big budget. Of course, now I know better. Now I know if the person's people say, it doesn't matter what they say, they don't, you know, agent, Hollywood agent, you know, is never going to tell you the truth about the weather, let alone something that serious. And, um, but at any rate, you know, so we had this low budget, we were half, a little over half a million dollars, and I, I realized, you know, the Sundance, and I realized I can't, you can get a great director for that money, but you can't get a proven great director. You know, you, you, you for a low budget movie, you'd be taking a risk on someone. I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to take a risk anyway, I might as well just direct it myself. So I, I wasn't even trying to direct it, you know. I was trying to produce it and put it together. So how do you do that? I mean, uh, how do you just say, okay, I'm going to direct a movie. Do, did you buy directing movie for dummies books? Uh, <laughs> yes. I did read a lot of those kind of books. <laughs> yeah. And um, I don't know. You know, I mean, we had a great crew. We had a great cinematographer. Um, we had a great, great uh, assistant director who is the guy that kind of keeps everything moving. Yeah. Um, so there were, you know, we had a great art director. You know, what the what the director does, like the director, you know, and of course I don't know anything. It's just from my experience from one time. The, the director is in charge of what the scene is about. Yeah. So you tell the cinematographer, this is what the scene's about. And he said, okay, well, then you need this shot and this shot. And then you tell the art director, this is what the scene's about. And you tell the actors, this is what the scene's about. And then you try to make the actors as comfortable as you can. And then they give you... You know, their performance is a result of, of how comfortable comfortable you can make them feel so they can perform, you know, to the best of their abilities. But all you're doing is giving them, you have all the backstory, you know about them, things about their motivations that they might not know. And you say, and this is what the scene is about. And then nobody ever second guesses you on that. Yeah. That is only the province of the director. And that's all you really do. So, you know, you, you put your trust in other people to make sure that they're. Well, you have to. Right. I mean, it's no choice. Yeah. I mean, I think you would not get a good performance out of an actor if you treated them like a robot and thought, like, I need you to be angry here, happy here, I want you to raise your left arm and grab the glass. At this point, the actors wouldn't like that, and you well, wouldn't get good performance. it's about how you communicate, and you communicate well, you know. Um, I saw you in a reading once, um, talking to actors, and it seems like, because you, you're confident, you know exactly what you want, and you're confident about that, and then you're able to communicate that to people, so I think that, that maybe not everybody can do that. I don't know. I really, I love actors. I, I, I could not, I was shocked by how much I liked actors. That was something I didn't know. You know, I kind of actually believe that uh, after only making one movie and not knowing anything, I kind of believe that a movie is made, you know, it's casting and editing. And that's it. You know, the, the, if you cast it right and you have a good crew, and, you know, then everything should work out okay. Um, and, then, and then if you have a good editor and you edit it right, you know, those are the two. I think that that's when the movie is made. It's all it's all acting. Acting is most of the movie. But uh, was it hard to to sell this to people? When I say sell this to people, I mean whenever you're dealing with something sexual, it's either oh, it's got to be really sexual, uh, you know, like fill in the blank thriller film, or it's got to be something uh, like your film, which it's not crazy sexual. That right. Sex happens to be part of it. It's just not the, it's not the main focus. It's right? set in the world of porn. Right. And there is nudity, certainly. And there are sex scenes, but there's, a, there's not that much sex yeah. shown because 
it's it's the world. There's so much sex in that world yeah. that to show it would be redundant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even though there's, you know, you certainly see a certain amount, but I love that, not that there much. was like Heather Graham was like in sort of like DS scenes in a way, very like kind of subtly DS scenes with her partner and some, on her knees at one point. And the like, heaviest, the most intense sex scene so in the hot. movie <laughs> is between her and her girlfriend. Yeah, it's is that not when even like she porn. was giving head to her when girlfriend? When she pushes her when girlfriend she was on, down, right? Oh god, that was hot. <laughs> Well, we thought, you know, we had it in the script. It was like, it was supposed to, it was supposed to be all choreographed. You see this, you don't see that. This happens. And, we, you know, we had that giant block of time set, set aside. We were going to, like, you know, to do this, that scene. And then uh, Diane Farr, who plays the girlfriend, uh, and, and Heather, they were like, uh, let's just go for it. And they just went for it. And <laughs> they we just... did go for it. That was rough, too. Like, she was pretty rough with her. it. Yeah. Looked, it looked almost like... A rape scene. Because it starts as a fight, though, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. It was like angry sex, but it was really hot. Like, obviously, it's, they were getting off. It's yeah. very angry sex. It, it is. It, it does border on rape. It's kind of... Yeah. It, it's right on the border, you know? Yeah. I think it's a matter of interpretation at that point. Yeah. yeah. Well, Heather Grant's no, no, no stranger to doing sex scenes. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, how do you, as a director, go to someone and say, <laughs> okay, so here's what's going to happen... I'm very sorry about this, you know, or, I mean, obviously she knew what she was getting into when she agreed right, to the she film, the script. but don't you feel a little dirty, like, putting the person in that position in well, the first place? Di- do you feel dirty? It's worse than you think, actually, because... <laughs> I feel really dirty. I, I think it's pretty bad, I don't know. No, no, you don't even know, because that scene, that exact, se- that sex scene is based on a porn. It's based on an episode of Ultimate Surrender that I saw when I was working at kink.com. Okay. On, on the Showtime show, and so there was this there was this time when um, it was Darling something Darling and um, oh I can't remember the other girl's name but uh, she's a small Asian girl and um, you know in Ultimate Surrender the winner fucks the loser and she can do whatever she wants and so the one girl is like has won and she's got the other girl wrapped up and like kind of tied up and she's got the big vibrator going on and the and the girl is begging her to stop. And it looked so painful. And I wish... I mean, it did not look consensual. You know, it, it really looked like this is going way over the edge. This is not okay. You know, uh, it looked really painful. And um, and then afterwards, you know, they always interview the performers. And the girl was like, oh, that was, awesome. that was amazing. You know, she was <laughs> out of her mind. She looked at her eyes were all, you know, that was incredible. And But, it made, you know, it felt like this thing was like... You know, it was bordering on not consensual, but it was also really enjoyable ultimately. Yeah. And so that was kind of what gave me the idea for that specific sex scene. And so I showed Diane and Heather that porn before we shot it. And like right before? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that scene. Let's just watch some porn. Hey, because, before we get yeah. to work, why don't you come to my trailer and look at some porn? It was just the three of us. There was, there was nobody else allowed in the room. I, and, I, and, I think anyone would have had it that way. And yeah. they wanted to see it multiple times. They yeah. kept watching the porn, so they were, I don't know. You Professionally. Know. I think that, you know, it's, yeah. it's a funny thing, you know, as a director, you know, as a, as a director to be like, okay, we're going to watch the porn. I'd, I want to send it to them before they showed up, but I thought that was a bad idea. I'm going to wait till they're actually here. Yeah. yeah and they're going to watch it together. Yeah. I just felt like that would be inappropriate yeah. to send them porn. Now, when you first saw it. Tia Ling. That's the name okay. of the performer, the, yeah. of the actress. But when you when you first saw it, it was probably erotic to watch it. 
And then when you're as it's your job to show it to someone, are you sitting there going baseball, 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 baseball? Or well, I mean, I'm nervous. You know, I'm I'm extremely protective around actors. You know, I feel I sure. Get, I, I don't. It's not an erotic thing working with actors for me. Right. I'm sure it's different for everybody, but for me, I feel very paternal and, and protective, and like I just want. So I'm most concerned that I'm going to upset them. Yeah. I'm petrified that this is somehow going to upset Diane and Heather, even though I know them pretty well at this point, and they've never given me and any indication. I know indication. that you're not the kind of guy, like, you're just not the type of guy that would ever, like, you know, yeah, try would not to be sleazy. fuck somebody, yeah. like, it, you know. Yeah, I don't try to fuck anybody. Yeah. <laughs> but, and people know that about you right away, so it's like, you, it wouldn't be about that, but you just didn't want to offend them or something. I, yeah, I was terrified. Yeah. You know. And not just that, yeah. you have the benefit, most, most directors have the benefit of saying, Look, I didn't write it. I'm just directing it. Right? <laughs> so this is what the guy this is what the guy wrote and we're going to do it because that's what we're paid it. to do, right? But you since you wrote it and <laughs> did you try to did you try to blame your co-writer on it saying I didn't write this part at all? Or the director's responsible for everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's no there's nothing a director I don't I don't imagine. I mean, maybe it's different in a big studio picture, but I think the director can change anything. The director can rewrite the script from scratch. Everything that you're doing in the script, you're doing for the director, not yeah. for the writer. So you know, the director is the author of the movie, so yeah. you can't actually blame it on anybody. So, uh, all in all, how, I mean, how did you enjoy it? It sounded like you had a lot of fun. I, I, so, well, I had so much fun making About Cherry that I was determined to make another movie, you know? That's like, a good sign. I didn't know that I wanted to be a director, and then suddenly I'm like, wait, I want to, I got to direct another movie. And then it's so hard because, you know, when you write a book, you just write a book. You go on an island, write your book, and then I never pitch, so I always just write my books and then try to publish them uh, later. And so, but with a movie... You've got to get permission from somebody, and that the person that's going to write the check is going to allow you to do, you know, uh, what you need to do. So, or you find a way to raise the money somehow. But it's very, it's it's hard to put together, and it's so it's so collaborative. You know, all these moving parts, like herding cats. When did you write the screenplay for Happy Baby? For Happy Baby, I'd written a bunch of versions of it actually over over years. I've been writing it, <clears throat> never worked, and then about uh, I want to say six months ago. I was uh, hanging out with Dave Eggers, and uh, he edited the book, you know, and... Yeah, I remember you saying that you were going to work with him on the movie. Well, I he had edited the book, Before. but I hadn't thought of doing the movie yet this time around, Yeah. and I was just complaining to him. We were out for drinks, and I was saying, I just want to do another movie, but I don't have a script, I don't know what the movie is, and he was like, oh, just do Happy Baby. And I was like, no, no, it never worked. I tried to write it like six times already. It doesn't, it can't be done. And he said, no, no, just... You know, start in the movie theater, then do this, then do this. You know, write itself. And I was like, no, no, it won't work. And, and the next day, I sat down and started doing exactly what he said. And three days later, I had a draft. And <laughs> I knew, even though it wasn't good at the time, I knew it was going to work. Yeah. But it's so different from the other ones. Like, even even though Adderall Diary is more, you know, it, it maybe like you wrote the book and then you, you... It seemed like that was pretty easy for you to turn into the screenplay. I mean, the Adderall Diaries, I hadn't ever tried before to make into a screenplay. I had a lot of pressure because it was my first time really writing a screenplay. Like, I had written screenplays before for fun, but this time, like, James Franco is waiting yeah, on a screenplay yeah. from yeah. me. Or I thought he was. Turned out he wasn't. But, um, so there was this real pressure to get it right. And so for a month or two months, like, this was all I did. Mm-hmm. And eventually it cracked open. I saw, oh, there, that's how you, that's how a movie happens. Before we start talking more about Happy Bay, I do want to say one more thing about uh, about Cherry is that uh, Dev Patel's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the character I'm closest to. 
I was going to say, I felt that. I've been that guy. I've been that guy, too. Uh, in, fact, in fact, a girl who I'm that guy with, for years, you know, saw, when, when she read the script, <laughs> she said, oh, it's, it's me and you. <laughs> and I was like, you got to be fucking kidding. You know? You know that? That's the worst. You know, you know it, and you do it anyway? So everyone, everyone listening has got to stop right now. You can get it on iTunes. Watch it on iTunes. And then resume right now. Because I've been that guy, and the, I always thought she never knew that I was that guy. They I've been always, that guy they, several times. That's they it. always know, but they know and they don't know. They know, but they're also in denial, right? So it's totally possible for a person to know something and not know it at the same time. Yeah. You know, to know that someone likes you yeah. and also not admit to yourself that this person likes you and that you're taking advantage of them. Yeah. It's common. But... but and and. I've been this That was one of my favorite lines. Not to interrupt you, but I'm going to interrupt no. you. When, she, when, like, he, you know, she was like, you know, you love me, but not enough to not jerk off to me. That was, that was one of my not favorite to, Not enough to jerk off to somebody else. Yeah. To some, or, yeah, to somebody else. Yeah. That's right. But be, being in that position, it is such a horrible spot because you, you, you're obsessed with this person, as uh, in, in Deb's position in this case. You're obsessed with this person. And the fact that they're just willing to be close to you and cuddle with you or whatever, but they think, oh, you know, oh, he's such a good guy, or you know, and but you're just taking every little bit of affection you can get, right? Crumbs. You're eating, crumbs. You're, you're crumbs. eating the crumbs that they leave behind. <laughs> yeah. And then, and at the same time, you're just swinging. It's only a matter of time. Only a matter of time. Sure, she's with that abusive guy right now, but you know what? She's going through a phase. Eventually, when, she's going to be coming back. That that scene, you know. Lorelai and I, I mean, I, I did most of the typing on the script, you know, but we really wrote it sitting together in cafes, just talking it through. Yeah. That's how the script kind of came to be. And, um, but I, you know, that I wrote that whole scene, that whole, that whole, that whole particular scene with me. And Lorelai was like, oh no, he would never do that to her. And I was like, I was like, Lorelai, I got news for you. You know, <laughs> like, there is, and I was like, there are some, you have some very close people in your life. Who are looking at your image on the internet and masturbating yeah. to it, you know, and you know you don't know who it is, but it's more than one. And and uh, certainly, you know, there were girls that I grew up with that if there were naked pictures of them on the internet, and there wasn't really internet at the time, but if right. there were, I would have been masturbating to their image. Yeah. And I think it's but but I went around, I asked a bunch of porn performers and professional dominatrices and, and other people, you know, how they would feel if their best friend. If they caught their best friend masturbating to a picture of them online, most of them were horrified. The vast majority of them were not okay with it. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't know exactly what that is, except that you want to be, that's your job. And this is your image that you project in the world, but you want to be loved for who you are, not for this persona that you, that you embody when you work, you know. But it's absolutely that- true because I can't tell you how many times that I've um, been in, relationships with people or like wanted to date people but they want to date the fantasy version of you and then once they start to get to know the real version of you or like you become maybe vulnerable like not that I am ever vulnerable but Mm -hmm. an example like if somebody were to be vulnerable and then they see that they're like oh you're a three-dimensional person with different kinds of feelings and then they they lose their you know heart on for you and that's that would really piss a person off like if that was me I might be pissed off about that but But, obviously that doesn't happen to me right of course I mean other people right yeah but in in Dev's case, I mean, I've I've been in that exact situation. Not where she was a porn performer, but she was, you know, 
She was kinky and I would take her to parties and I was still pining for her. I would have like little flings on the side, but I would never get serious because I was just waiting for this other girl. And so when I'm watching this and almost sharing and going, that's so me, that's me, that's me. It was so, that was probably the hardest thing to watch out of the entire, you know. There's, there's so many things like, so like this girl that I was, you know, very much in love with. And I guess I still am, though I haven't, you know, talked to her in a long time. But, you know, she said... She made a, a joke at one point, you know, eat my crumbs, take my crumbs. <laughs> and then you see, you know, then you have Deb Patel saying, you know, you know, you just leave me crumbs. You yeah. know, there's, there's several moments in the movie that are ex- ex- literally just straight out of, you know, that that relationship. Yeah. You know. Uh, he seems like he's a pretty pretty great guy to, to work with, too. Deb is a sweetheart. He's the greatest guy. Oh, he was the one, actually, that everybody was, was in love with, you know. I mean, I, I think that... Heather Graham and all the all the actresses were like, I just want to take him home. You know, he's got he's got this real puppy dog energy. He's just kind of bouncing off the walls. He's incredibly energetic and likable and yeah. and just um yeah, he's kinda of wonderful. He showed up on set, you know. He showed up at the armory, the largest porn studio in the world. And I'm you know, showing him around I'm like, hey, check it out, you know, we walk onto a porn set, it's a everything but I think set and they're and they're doing, <laughs> you know, some some pretty hardcore stuff. And I left him. You know, I left him... On purpose? I don't I was busy. I'm directing a movie. Okay. You know? <laughs> and I was like, okay, you just hang out here. And apparently, they got him in the video. They got, they got him, like, moving lights. They, like, start, they start putting him to work. Did they you know, know who he was? Or yeah, they... they knew who he was. They were they were psyched, you know? And, um, <laughs> and, and he, like, he was, like, didn't know what was going on. You know, he's just a kid. I mean, the same thing happened, actually, with, with uh, Heather Graham. Uh, we went onto a set, and it was Lorelai. It was actually Lorelai doing this porn. With this, with this other girl, and we just sat in the chairs, me, uh, Heather Graham and I, and watched Lorelai have very graphic anal sex with this other girl, um, and uh, and I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm kind of looking over at Heather, you know, to see how, how is she taking this, some you know? anal sex is not very graphic, <laughs> just to make sure that we're clear on that. <laughs> some of, you know, you're sure. Well, you know, on everything Some but, anal sex is really romantic and when they, when they use those giant plugs and everything but, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, that, yeah. that are also glass so you can see Hardcore, into them. Yeah. Right, you yeah. know. Whoa. <laughs> what was her reaction? She was just like, oh, well. Heather was, Heather was game. Heather is like, Heather's game for anything. Yeah. She's sure. just, she just like, she's the person that just lives, you yeah. know. She just, like, takes it all in. Uh, yeah, every time I see... Because uh, Dev's on the newsroom yeah. now. And I uh, really enjoy him on that. And, but you're right. Almost everything he delivers is very... He's very sincere in just about everything he delivers. It's really good. So, so let's talk about Happy Baby. Okay. Um, how hard was it to make it from uh, a book to... Had, had you always thought about... I saw the Kickstarter campaign. First off, you're funding it by Kickstarter, which is pretty unique. Yeah, but we still we're still seeing if we can get uh, more investment. You know, like yeah, that was pretty modest um, for a movie. Well, we were we were trying to raise what we thought we had a chance of raising. <laughs> you know, it wasn't based on what we thought it would cost to make a movie. It was based on like what can we realistically raise if we're lucky. Well, you um, said eighty five, and you got what ninety six or something, or ninety four. But then some a little more came in after as well. So we're actually at like a hundred and two or something like that. Oh, good. Um, even after paying out Kickstarter, their fees and so forth. Uh, but yeah, so Happy Baby is based on my novel that I wrote that came out in 2004. It was my fourth novel, and it's actually the novel that brought me out of the closet. I was very closeted, you know? Yeah. And I had these 
really vanilla friends who had no real idea what my deal was and why I never had girlfriends or like things, you know, and, and then I would go out to the, the leather bars and everything with this other, I had this other life yeah. and other people I knew in that scene. But, um, you know, I was in the closet and then I started writing, when people started reading sections from Happy Baby, they were like, Oh, that's what he's into. This is like this is really, really autobiographical. I mean, it's just like says everything, right? It goes it's, into everything. It's clear that like the person who wrote that book is into S and M. There's just no doubt about that. And it, it is autobiographical. It's also at the same time it's a novel, so it's you know like it deals with like I was raised in group homes, and it deals with a lot of issues from group homes. Um, but it's kind of like a worst case scenario, and it's a lot of my friends' stories and my stories. Uh, all kind of combined together, so it's not just, it's not, it's not memoir, right? You know, but it is autobiographical in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. for sure. And so, yeah, so um, I finally wrote. I, I just the script just kind of came out of me after speaking to Dave. I mean, it was Edgar's idea, and although I was, I was really just desperate to find another movie to direct. I just really wanted to direct another movie, and and I got some scripts. Like there were some agents sending me scripts, but I didn't like any of them. Yeah, I didn't think I could do a good job directing them. So, but the fact that you, I mean, you obviously know the material. Yeah. It helps a lot. It helps yeah. a lot. And then having just done this other project, I think it's going to, I don't know. I, well, I think, I mean, that's one of the reasons I had to direct another movie. I mean, I'm really proud of About Cherry, but I also feel like there's so much I learned in that movie that right. I need to put in to practice on another movie. Yeah, you, you got to flex those muscles. Yeah, when, when, you're, when, you're, <laughs> when you're writing the script, though. I don't know why that's so funny to me. <laughs> when you're writing the script, are you saying... Because there's some pretty graphic scenes in the book. Are you saying to yourself, I can't put that in a script, that can't be in a movie, or or that would limit the movie if, if we did have that in there? It's only, you know, I'm just trying to make the best movie I can, so I'm not really driven by market forces. I mean, uh, I think when you're trying to make this kind of a movie, it's an independent film no matter what. And so you're best off just making the best possible uh, movie you can. I don't think it matters. I, I didn't leave anything out for that reason. Uh, there is a lot, there's quite a bit less S&M, but there's kind of less of everything. I mean, a movie, you can, so, there's a lot less information than a book, and yeah. a lot of things in the book, you kind of condense into little, you know, a lot of times in a movie, you'll have a character tell a story. Yeah. And the story will illuminate a lot of things that you might have shown in more detail in a book. Are you going to shoot in Amsterdam at all? No, like that whole Amsterdam scene completely cut out. Really? Gone. Uh, but how do you make that decision? Just because it, you think, well, you make, it's not... You make the decision. I mean, yeah. it's not It's not decision not to go to Amsterdam. It's just a decision of, like, that the Amsterdam chapter in Harry Baby is the most... It's obviously the most off the track of the book. Even in the book, it's obvious that that's the furthest out from the main storyline. So there was never a version of, of that book as a movie that would have included that chapter. Hmm. You know, but that's a part of uh, a part of your life where you lived in Amsterdam and you were. That was pretty close to reality, right? That was pretty close to the bone. You know, yeah, yeah. Where you were, a, what's that called? A barker? I was a barker at a, li- at a live sex show. For live the, sex shows in Amsterdam at the Casaroso. <laughs> I've I've been there. Like, not I haven't been in that place, yeah. but I've seen it. I know exactly where that is. I was the guy in the street saying, uh, "Live sex show. You're not here for the architecture." Yeah. <laughs> Come on. What what kind of benefits do you get from a job like that? Do they get an employee discount or anything? Or? Well, you know, I was I was dating uh the girl in the cabaret show and that was amazing. 
Um, her husband was in jail for murder at the time. So uh, that's kind of dangerous to. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't care. I was twenty years old. I was right. having the best time of my life. You know, I was making a thousand dollars a week. You know, commissions, and I was protected by the Hell's Angels. I mean, it was a really violent place. But you know, you know, these gangsters running these these sex clubs, and and it was just amazing. You know, you're in the VIP for all the all these nightclubs. You know, the dancing. It's just I was really in the middle of this amazing. That could be your scene. next movie, like just on its own, you could take that one chapter and blow it out into a film. That was a wild world. How do you verify to others that you're being protected by the Hell's Angels? Did they give you a oh, card of some in, sort? Or? Everybody, Sam, everybody in, in the red light district knows that the barkers and the theaters and the bars pay the Hell's Angels. Right. To, you know, they pay them protection. They pay them to, you know, keep the junkies. And there's so many junkies and so many thieves. You're right by uh, the Sea Dyke, which at the time was the most violent street. Yeah, it's in a Europe. lot different now. Should, yeah. I mean, it's, it's completely at different. At the time, it was a really violent place. And so the Hell's Angels were the ones that kept people safe. If right. They, if, you know, if you were one of, of, if you were working in the Red Light District. So you have the script. So I have the script. And then, well, you know, you write the script. And then you start attaching actors. And then you try to raise money. Um, we have some good actors attached right now. I can't name them yet because, you know, it's not like official official. Sure. Like we have a great leading actress, but her deal is she has to approve the le- of the leading man, which yeah. makes perfect sense. You know, she, every scene she's in, she's with him and she wants to make sure she's got a good connection with that person because it's a low budget movie. Why else would you do it yeah. if it's not going to be good? So, uh, she wants to see who that person is before she makes it like official. Um, and then... Uh, we raised money. Uh, we did Kickstarter. You know, we got close to a hundred thousand dollars that way. And now uh, we're talking with an investor that maybe we'll come in with a little more money uh, if we, depending on who the leading actor is. Uh, but you know, the thing is, it it doesn't matter so much because I'm going to shoot the movie around April, whether we have more money or not. Yeah. Like I'm like. I, my school of filmmaking is the Donald Rumsfeld school of filmmaking. You know, it's like you make the movie with the budget you have, not the budget you want. Okay, you I know, they're going to start going into knowns and unknown mm-hmm. knowns, but no, okay. And and that's and so you know, he wrote a book about Donald Rumsfeld. I did once do that. It's going to be an interesting that, read. That was awesome. But yeah, so I'll, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll uh, we're going to shoot the movie around April, um, depending on the actor's schedules. Most likely in April. Uh, April, May, or probably April. So you're going to be around. And we're going to shoot it in New York. If we raise more money, we might go to Detroit to shoot it, but I think we're shooting it in New York. Right now, the script, I've rewritten it, it's set in New York. Um, because almost everybody working on this on the movie lives in New York, and we don't have enough money to fly them anywhere else. Yeah. So we have to shoot in New York. Not a bad place to shoot. No. Ha- having seen Inside the Actors Studio, I think it's safe to say I know a little bit about filmmaking. <laughs> Isn't isn't the amount of money you get so dependent on like the the types of actors you can get, or or maybe are actors so like James Franco is a prime example. He's willing to be in something that maybe doesn't pay him a hell of a lot because he well, wants to be in something good. Right. Well, the actors are artists. Every single actor I've ever met is an artist. Right. You know, and they all want to just be in something good. Every single one that I've met. Um, so you know. They they have different ideas of what good is. Yeah. But certainly in about cherry, everybody got scale. Nobody got extra money. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they, anybody that had a line that day got paid the same as James Franco, and James Franco was only on set for one day. You know, even though he's in he's in nine scenes in eight <laughs> different locations, he did we did that all in seventeen hours. It's amazing. It was amazing. And so, but they you know he got like 
$200, I think, for that. So yeah, the actors don't get paid anything extra, but it's true that a lot of financiers, what they care about is who the actors are. That's what they're investing in. Not, they don't, you know, but it's tricky, right? Because what an actor is worth as far as the money you can raise, uh, or what a script is worth, or a director is worth, there's only one person that actually knows that. And that's the person writing the check. Yeah. Everybody else is just hypothesizing. Like, well, if we had this actor, we'd be able to raise a million dollars. You don't really know that. Yeah, until yeah. You, until somebody writes you a check for a million dollars. Right, You know. And so we had, you know, we had James Franco, and we were having a very hard time raising money in About Cherry. And then we got Dev Patel, and Lee Taylor, and Heather Graham. And it still seemed, within a month or so, it still didn't seem like we were going to be able to do it. We still didn't have enough money. That's we, crazy. Yeah, so even with all those actors, and it was, you know, well, then I'm a first-time director, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, in Happy Baby, it's like, oh, yeah, but, you know, this is a little more experimental. Or, you know, your reviews were mixed on, on your last movie. So even though the, even though About Cherry made money for all the, direct, for all the investors, so everybody think, okay, so the last movie made money. Like, made really good money for the investors. Um, broke some records on video on demand and stuff. Huh. And so you, so you would think... Everybody says, oh, if that happens, then you have no problem raising money next time. But that's not true. Right. The only person that can say that is the person that's writing the check. <laughs> right, right. Everybody else is just talking shit. <laughs> right. They don't know anything. Right. You know. Because there are so many X factors in there. Yeah. Right? They have the, they, they, the investor is still going to want to read the script. Yeah. And then it's, it, the investor then decides without knowing anything because nobody knows anything. Yeah. Then the investor decides based on some whim whether that's commercial or not. They don't know. And then they decide, oh, this actor or that actor, you know. So how how did how have you decided to depict BDSM in it? Because uh, uh, that's got to be a again you want to make it appealing to people or you know to people to invest in or is uh, I don't I don't think that I don't think BDSM is there's some pretty there's a there's there's two or three pretty heavy scenes but I wouldn't call it I don't think it's as big a part of the movie as it is the book right uh, I don't think that's what they're investing in I think that. The movie is more about the relationship between the protagonist, Theo, and Maria, who he meets when he's in the group homes. You know, these two characters are basically, they're both masochists is what's really happening. Um, but this happens all the time, even in the vanilla, vanilla world. They both want the same thing. And because they both want the same thing, they can't help each other. They they both want the same thing. And what they need to meet is the, they're equal and opposite. They yeah. need to meet the person who wants the other thing so they can they can complete each other. Uh, and so they're stuck, and that's why they're rela- they can't make their relationship work. And so it's a, it's a, it's a intensely intense situation because Theo wants to save her. You know, they met in the group homes, and he he's, he really wants to like give her a better life. He wants to protect her. He promised her that he would, um, but he can't. He can't protect her, uh, and he loves her. He, he gets married to somebody else, but he, this is the love of his life. And so, in the movie, I mean, in the book, that's a very important story. That's. But in the movie, it's more important still. In the book, you know, the book is so much about Theo. And the movie has more of the relationship takes a... It's still Theo's story, but the relationship is more central to it than, it, than the book. Yeah. So... When you're talking to people about aspects of masochism, I mean, obviously you can speak from experience. How, what's the reaction usually when you're talking to people who are either vanilla or acting vanilla? Mm-hmm. Uh, Gosh, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's always different. I think that I'm very offhand now. I don't really... I'm not going to sit around and try to shock you and freak you out, yeah. you know? And I'm just not... Uh, you know, I find I find usually, 
you know, people, people, you know, people can often be like disrespectful. You know, you'll be playing poker or something and say, yeah, I thought you were submissive, you know. Yeah, yeah. When, and, uh, you know, they say stupid shit like that. And oftentimes, if somebody just starts in that vein, I'll just walk away. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to explain this thing to you that you don't want to understand. Yeah. You know, if you're just going to make jokes about it. And, and it's, I think it's very hard for people to understand uh, the world of BDSM if, if you don't have those desires, if you're not into it. Some people can get it. Some people understand how so much of it is actually universal. So much of it is actually plays out in the vanilla world as well, you know. Um, like when I talk about like what's erotic, you know, to to love someone and not be loved in return can be very erotic and also uh, in- intensely disappointing and tragic. But also very, and that's a cuckold fantasy that a lot of people don't even realize they have. They're sure. chasing this woman they can't have. Why why are you attracted to this woman that you can't have, but not attracted to this woman that you can have? Yeah, it's a cuckold fantasy, right. you know. <laughs> And it Face happens. Facts, you're it, cuckold. it happens all the time in the vanilla world, but nobody puts those kind of those kind of terms around it, you know. Yeah. So, um, but if you know, some people are, are are legitimately curious, and then and some people aren't. But I'm, but I don't have time to. I mean, I'm I'm open about it, and I write about it, so people know. And the great benefit of that, of course, is that you then meet other people with similar desires. Sure. Um, and you you get entree into this world. You know, but the thing about making a movie like this, even though it's there's not a lot of it in there, maybe and it's not about that, but you will deal with it or you'll go there, and that's a form of educating the public and I mean, kind of creating an analogy to something that they can understand in their own, I'm so they sh- can identify with. Maybe I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think that it's an element of this character, and what's what's interesting to me, what I'm exploring about the character Theo, is not that he's in S and M but that he's an unhealthy relationship with his own sexuality, his own yeah. an inability to ask for what he wants, yeah. and an inability to be honest with himself about his own desires. And so that's, that's a lot more universal. It happens yeah. that, you know, that he's into S&M, but... Well, that's, what I, that's why I think like, you know, a lot of people will be able to identify with that, and then they'll be like, oh, but it's about that. And then they'll be like, oh, they'll connect it and say, like, that's not so different than how yeah. maybe I feel about... I mean, I tend you know, to... My in- boring shit. In my, <laughs> just in my, kidding. Just in kidding, my, people. In my stories, Do what you want. I don't care. In my stories, I, I tend to not over-explain. I'd rather risk somebody not getting it than talking down to somebody who yeah. does get it. Yeah. And so I think a lot. I think it's gonna be. It's possible that some people will see it and think that it's not a good depiction of S and M. You know, because here you right. have this kind of fucked up character, and they they might think that what I'm saying is that the sexual abuse led to these desires. And I'm not saying that, but if that's what you bring in to it, I'm probably not going to stop you from thinking that it's not my job, you right. know? And I, mm-hmm. I present a story of a person, but I'm not going to spoon feed you, you know, ultimately a 90% of the story you're bringing yourself. Yeah. And, and that's just how I like to write. And those are the kind of stories I like to watch and read. So I don't know how people are going to react to the S and M mm-hmm. in, in, in the, in the piece, you know, um, because you know, you know, people, there are going to be people who uh, are going to put whether you whether you want to or not. They're going to they're going to hope that you're going to be sort of a a flag bearer for the kink community, right? right? right. And, and try to and try to depict it in a way that the the vanilla people out there understand it a little more and don't and you know right. s- stop putting people in in oh they're all you know, weird type of thing. Remember when we talked to what's her name uh, to. Uh... <laughs> Melissa Phoebos yeah. and about her story and a lot of people were mad at her for telling her story and then she made a really good point like this is my story yeah. like 
do, being the flag waver and the role model for the community is maybe not who I am, but like, you know, y- you can do that. Or, yeah. And it's about having as many voices as possible and being honest about whatever your voice is and your story is. And that's how you build the whole it's not just one person who's going to do that right. anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's not It's not a polemic. You know, I'm not trying to make an argument. I'm trying to tell, you know, I'm trying to tell a story. Yeah. You know, if anything, what the story is really concerned with is uh, children in group homes and this, like, these, these marginalized figures in our society that aren't given a lot of resources and what happens to them, you know, uh... So the SNM is kind of it's a it's a it's a it's a theme, but it's 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 kind of far down there on the list of yeah. what's happening. I mean, it's 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 a it's much much more prominent, you know, in the novel. And in the novel, I think, you know, you see a person. The no, people think the novel is very dark, but it goes backwards. I'm always I always say it's a happy ending, but it ends on page sixteen. Yeah, you yeah. know, and then it goes backwards from there. So people don't realize it's a happy ending, you know. But in in the novel, I think he <laughs> develops a healthy. You see, you see this character actually develop a healthy relationship to his sexuality, to ultimately accepting Ambelina and having uh, a loving, healthy relationship, and that that doesn't happen in the movie. You know, that's just not the themes that the, the movie's really dealing with. So, uh, how hard was it to when you were shopping it around, or how how does that work? Do you give it to to agents and then they show it the script to people, I, or do I, you think, oh, this person might be good for it? Well, kind of what I mostly do is I try to find ways to people that I want through people that I know that might know them. Oh, okay. So I know this actress, and she knows that actress. Hey, could you get this actress, this script, or something like that? It helps a lot. Once you've made a movie, you know a lot more actors mm-hmm. and so forth. I personally uh, don't talk to agents as a rule. You know, I mean, the producers do that. We have a, a casting director who is great, and that's great because... The agent will always return a phone call from a casting director because even if they're not interested in this movie, they got to work with that guy ten times this year. Right? They don't have to return my phone call, you know. And in fact, an agent is only ever going to call me when they want something. Yeah. And and never at any other time. And if I don't call them back, they will totally understand that because that's how they operate themselves. Yeah. They won't even be mad. They just count on you being stupid and 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 polite. But they're not ever going to follow those rules themselves, you know. So I try not to ever talk to a Hollywood agent. I mean, I'll talk to a literary agent. It's, yeah. They're different. They're human beings, you know. Sure. But a Hollywood agent, uh, you know. <laughs> Not human beings. I don't know. I'm sure I'm sure some of them are. Yeah. But I would... I'm not... I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not saying that none of them are human beings, but I am saying that I'm not. I'm not sure. You're not saying that all... They're not... You're not saying all, all agents are assholes. You're saying all assholes are agents. Yeah. Something, something like that. that. Sure. I think that... You know, I mean, it's one of the things, you know, when I was in L.A., that, that I just, that's when I realized how much I loved actors, and that, and it really highlights the difference, because in L.A., you have all these great actors. You have a lot of great actors in New York, too, um, which I like just, who I like just as much, you know? <laughs> um, but when you're in L.A., it really stands out, because the actors are unique. Every single one of them, entirely different person. Yeah. You don't know what they're going to say. You know, you don't know, um, you know, you know, you don't know what their, their fears are, what their... They're just, everyone, they're so interesting. Each one of them is interesting. You know, agents, managers, you know what they're going to say. You know, it's nothing, they're interchangeable. Yeah. You know, so. Are you excited to, I mean, filming in New York has got to be uh, pretty hair-raising. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be scary, you know. Um, we've got a lot to do. I mean, we need a lot of locations. Um, we need a dungeon, for example. Um, and, uh. 
There's a lot of apartments, and, and, and we need a detention center. So it's, locations are going to be a real challenge. Um, filming on an ultra-low budget, you know, I don't know if, if we're going to be a, a modified low budget or ultra-low. You know, I'm hoping it were modified, which would be over 250000 Um so it, it's just gonna be, it's gonna be hard no matter what. Yeah. But, make, but you know what? Making a movie is hard. Yeah. And what I realized from the last movie is that every single day, just about it felt like, or maybe it's once a week, but often enough, something will happen that is so bad that you could drop out. You could you could shit can the whole thing, and nobody would blame you because you'd say, "Oh, but this happened," and it's, "Oh, well, that happened." There's no way anybody could have made the movie with that happening. I mean, that is, you know, that's, un- that, like, sure, there's things you can expect, but there's other things like that that you could never plan for, like that thing that happened. Right. You could never be expected to make a movie now with that scenario that happened this week. Yeah. You know, and, and realizing that that thing, that thing that will give you an out that nobody will ever blame you for, nobody will ever say, oh, you don't have what it takes, because... How could you have seen that thing coming? That yeah. thing that was so incredibly bad. That will that will happen all the time on a movie. That that thing of that level, you know that. Uh, so uh, you must really love it. So you just gotta, you know, you just gotta know that that's gonna happen. Yeah. That, that terrible thing you have no idea what it is yet. Yeah, it's like constantly being tested. Do you really want to make this movie? Because and you're probably you here's know, your way out. Here's your way out, but you but know you what? Deal with it. Well, or you don't. I mean, I'm sure that one of those things is going to come along at some point, and it's going to derail me from a movie. Maybe this movie. Maybe the next movie. But you know what I mean? It's not like it's not like you. You're not, it's not like you can overcome every one of those things that seems like it cannot be overcome. You don't know? you think the fact that you're expecting something that big to happen lessens the blow? I think or is it so bad that it's, even it's that a, it's the kind of thing you could never expect? Oh, God. You know, <laughs> it's not expectable. <laughs> it's the unknown knowns. Yeah, it's Back the unknown unknown. Right, it is. Uh, well, good luck. Well, thank you. Good luck on it. Sure. I'm curious about, uh, we talked about you being out last time you were here, and I'm curious if uh, attitudes have changed in the last two years when people find out. Or, uh... Well, it's not any different because I was already so publicly out yeah. before coming on your show. You know, I wrote that I wrote that collection of stories, My Girlfriend Comes mm-hmm. to the City and Beats Me Up. I think what's different maybe, you know, is, um, I mean, my sexuality has changed. You know, I think that... Your sexuality is always changing, and I'm not. I'm not sure that I'm into exactly the same thing. I don't know exactly what I was into t- two years ago, but I'm probably into different things now. I mean, I'm so, still. What's your I don't thing know, now? Your, your nipple's still bleeding. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's only. That's happening that long. Um, oh God. <laughs> uh, well, I just think. I just think. You know, it's, I've been. I've been in a relationship. You know, for like ten months now. You know. Um, I mean, you know, it's kinky. It's it's open. It's a little weird. You know, or it's polyamorous or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all of those things that. You know, don't really work, but it works. It works. It does work. It does work because we're in this relationship and it's great. And I'm crazy about her, and um, and everything's fine. You know, and you know, she's I, a psychologist. <laughs> and I, you know, I had, I had Thanksgiving with her and her husband. You know, and so it was. Uh, we all get along great, and everything's cool. Uh, and this is the first like significant relationship I've been in, actually. You know, since in in at least fifteen years. Mm-hmm. Like, and by that, what I mean is. I can actually imagine myself still in this relationship two or three or four years from now. Yeah. And I haven't been in that relationship for any length of time since I was 25. Yeah. I've been in relationships that lasted a couple of years, but at no point in those relationships did I actually think we had any chance 
The whole um, time you were saying any day now. Any day now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take all I can get. Yeah. I'm gonna appreciate it. Yeah. But there is no way that this is gonna last. Yeah. You know. I mean, you know, she's a she's a three dimensional person, and most of the a lot of my relationships of the past ten or fifteen years have been a projection of my fantasy. Have been like people that have been that have allowed me to project my fantasy onto them for a limited amount of time. At some point, they usually want to be treated like a human being, and that's of course. That can be hard. They go to the bathroom or something. It's just over. Sneeze. You know? Something horrible. Um, yeah, right. something horrible. Like, you know, get cold. Um, it's funny you mentioned It's funny you mentioned that you were in a relationship. You would be in these small relationships where you, where you just expected it to blow up. Well, you knew they're so erotic, so intensely yeah. beautiful and erotic, so full of longing. You know, I was with this one woman where I felt like six months, I kind of like woke up and, I, and it was like, we're all my friends. I like. I've been in a room doing heroin for six months. That's what it felt like. <laughs> Who's you know? president? Yeah. What year is it? Yeah. I wouldn't give. I wouldn't take that back for anything. I, I was in a similar relationship with someone. It was the first relationship. It was the first kinky relationship I was in, and we just couldn't get past my fear of her leaving me. We just couldn't get past that. It was so bad that I was taking pictures of her every day. And I was just, any, any, and she was like, why are you taking some? I'm like, because you're going to be gone someday. And I want to have as many pictures uh, of you as possible. It was just so horrible. It's nice. We're friends now, but yes. Um, it was really, it was really bad. I'm like, trust me, you're going to leave me someday. Yeah, trust me. I want to, I want to get as many photo, uh, because as much I'm, evidence. Because I'm going to keep saying this until you <laughs> yes, do. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. But well, you know, it's, it's hard. I mean, the more, you know, when you're a submissive guy, you know, it's 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 tricky. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a tricky. It's a there's not a large dating pool, as I'm sure you know, mm-hmm. and and also even within that dating pool, uh, you're limited because S and M is like jazz. You know, like you know that guy's in the swing, but that guy's in the doo wop. I mean, it's not. Yeah. It's not like we're all into the same thing. You know, like that guy's a cuckold and that guy's a crossdresser and that that guy's just really into bondage and that guy's just a pain slut. You know, and yeah. You know, and that person likes humiliation and and so whatever you're. Whatever your mixture of kink is, then to find a match for that is so is so hard, you know, and it's uh, mm. it's just tricky, you know. But then also, the person you're with really acts upon who you are and what you like. Yeah. You know, there's something like like with my girlfriend now. It's like I say, like I feel like eighty percent of what we do is just cross dressing. I've never done that much cross dressing. I mean, I've cross dressed. Yeah. I mean. You know, but not not to this extent, not at all. I've never walked in heels before. You know, what I mean, so it's a, it's a whole different thing. I didn't even know. I didn't know that I was that into it. Yeah. But she's really into it. So it's a real point of intersection for us. The other hard t- part too, I found is wanting the other person to want what you want without you asking them. Kind of is that? Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. you don't want That's what fantasy is, right? So you want that person to want the same thing without you having to feel as a submissive guy Mo- that you're topping from the bottom or whatever. Most. Uh, most S&M fantasies, not all, but most S&M fantasies involve rape, right? It involves someone knowing what you want, yeah. right? That's the coincidence. Because what they're doing is they're taking it from you non-consensually. You know, you just imagine just being overpowered and taken. Yeah. And, like, that's a rape fantasy, mm-hmm. you know? And so when it happens, it is consensual because you've negotiated it and maybe you got safe words, maybe you don't. But, you know, you know each other and it's consensual. But... You know, then you try to turn that off and imagine. You, I always, I want to think that it's not consensual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's you know, it's, it's tricky, right? You always want them to know, and then you don't want top from the bottom. But I think in the best relationships that I've had, you know, um, topping from the bottom is not even really a term. Yeah. You know, like right. my partner. It's more communicating. Yeah, my partner wants to know. Yeah. Right. And then that's just information for her. Yeah. 
You know, and if Top, I ask yeah, you something, yeah, topping for the bottom is more of a pro thing, I think. No, I, I understand that, but there's a, a there's a, and there's there's you could be a power bottom where you're always bottoming, but you're leading the scene. That's different too. But like, I don't think there should be anything wrong with explicit communication. You know, which I think is really sexy, like to talk about what you're into and what you're gonna do, and you know, and then that can be a different time. And then when you do it, you've already talked about it, and you maybe you get. You know, you have a rape play scene, um, but you already kind of know you've got you've discussed consent and you discussed safe words or whatever and what's going to happen and what you're willing to do. Yeah. So I think that's really hot. But I guess, but to go back to what you're saying about you know the fantasy and projecting the fantasy, and then so when does that stop? Like when when it becomes too. I have I have so too, too feels too normal or feels like I, too. I have so many really close friends that I started out with some with some kind of romance, you know, and um, <laughs> and and I still even play with some of them. Yeah, you know, um, if I'm lucky. We should say you two just sat very closer. Very lu- if you're very lucky, right? But uh, he, he seems to be lucky, lucky guy. You know, but there is. A moment where they just become a real person that you can just hang out and have coffee with and yeah. talk about real stuff. We talk about politics. For me, that also means like stepping out of the scene and just like now we're kind of equals. Yeah. You know, we're out. To, I mean, there's always a hint of it, you know, but. Right, right, right. But you're not. The 24 the, 7 the thing doesn't work for me, you know, yeah. like that's in the bedroom and. and and then I need well, I need to be able to get work done. Twenty four seven doesn't really work for most people. Not for most, but for some. But I think there are degrees of yeah. There's degrees of it's a fluctuating intensity. I, maybe. I've had it, and I've had it, and it's been super hot. But like for something sustainable, you know, you want to just be able to talk as real people. Yeah, and, yeah. And like that's what I have with my girlfriend, which is awesome. But so there's a there's so the thing with my with my you know I don't even know how much to talk about, but you know there's, there's a moment where like. That's not really romantic, you know. And then I start chasing some fantasy again, you know, some yeah. somebody I I don't know. Yeah. Because if I don't know them, then they're then they can be the fantasy, you know. I'm like I I must be in a great mood today because because I could easily get into like a really pissed off discussion about this, like I kind of alluded to before, where I've been with a lot of different people that have done this to me, and I've gotten really angry about it because it's not wanting to know me it's wanting to know and yeah you know I take responsibility for that because I project a very specific image and I really like doing that and I'm an exhibitionist and I like putting out this persona but I'm also a, an individual with the you know a complicated individual and if somebody doesn't want to know that or if somebody can't be turned on after knowing that then that pisses me off and it happens a lot more to people you know, with with sort of this like sort of a public persona like that, yeah. and that's that's just really annoying. And I I'm so like chill about it right now. I'm really proud of myself. We should talk. We should have this would be a great conversation. We should for a round like table. on another day when I can be more angry and mm-hmm. and uh, vocal. Some for some reason I'm very relaxed. The today. guy the guy probably doesn't know. I mean, it's like when I. When I'm, like, it's you only know now he that I know. should fucking know. All right, maybe this will work you know? out. <laughs> but I, but when, I, when, I, when I see the woman and I, I think I'm the lover forever, I can't imagine this feeling that's so strong. I can't imagine it going anywhere. I'm completely taken by this fantasy. I don't have any cognition that this is just 
a fantasy and that's not that at some point she's going to go to the bathroom and um, and the flush is going to be the end of us <laughs> right right you know and um but i don't know that you know i mean sure now i'm 40 years old you know it's, but it's too late you know it's too late <laughs> right. i need to know this in my 20s when i could have done some good with it no absolutely it, 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 it took me a long time but because especially if if you're for example on twitter if someone only read your tweets alex sure if they didn't get to know you we, like, met, we met on twitter they would just we met, met on twitter yeah well but they would just and if, if you were if you were fairly new to the scene yeah they wouldn't they would assume sh- that you were that what? you were just that i was twi- what this seven, feet, bad, seven feet tall 24 7 badass there was no other but i'm not side. saying i'm not 24 7 badass I understand what i'm saying that. is there like as you said before there's different intensities and expressions of that 24-7 Badass was I mean, my rock album that I put out two I years ago, Everything I do is badass. Right. Like but no, it, it, it is a hard lesson to learn, especially when we you're... We met on Twitter. So two years ago, we did an interview. Uh, we had one scheduled on December 26, two years ago, which is in a couple days from now. Yeah. And we were going to do it on the phone, but it turned out that Stephen got on a red eye... Well, I said to you on I said, Christmas night, and we did it in person with you here two years yeah, yeah. ago. I said, I said to you... Um, on Twitter, I said, "I said, you know, I think I'm coming to New York sometime soon. Is there a time? I'd love to. Say, I'd love to meet you. Is there a time, you know, that that would be particularly good for you?" <laughs> that was and, like and you, tomorrow morning. And you said tomorrow morning, and I and I went to the airport and I got on a plane. And I was like, "Fuck yeah!" You're, I'm like, "Tomorrow morning." He's like, "Okay, I can go. I can leave in a couple hours." I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> I remember Alex telling Great. me this. I was like, "Because right. I just happened to have." So, you know, nine days or so that I really needed distraction and needed filling, and that was so great. You're was, so awesome. That was the that, that was, was fun. That was heroic. I want to say nobody will ever that will never happen to me again. Where I tell somebody like, you know, that's a that's a thing that. Well, I can I can tell you this right so now. Like you can't like basically you could try to fuck up all you want, and I'm still gonna like you because of that. Whatever. But I, I know you've got to you've got to head downtown. Gonna head downtown. But uh, Talk good to luck. Some people about some things. About some, th- some things. But good luck with the movie, and I definitely Thanks. strongly I think... encourage everyone to meet to read Happy Baby. But so you can say when you when the movie comes out, you can say, "Oh yeah, well the, it was just as good as the book." Yeah, yeah. Right. It's, not, it's not as good as the book. It's not as good as the book. It was just exactly as good as the book. I can't wait to see it. This I loved reading that book. I, I like I liked reading all your books. My books are actually just long personal ads. <laughs> <laughs> they are. <laughs> and how's that working out for you? Really, good. Good. <laughs> really, that's good. Yeah, and your movies, your are your movies similar? They're not. No, not, no. they're not. No, and and except for like the people in the in the industry, you know what I mean. The people that I meet, like working on the stuff, I haven't really met anybody because of my movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. I haven't met someone who's like, I saw your movie. I've got to talk to you. Yeah, it hasn't happened. Why is that? I don't is it just know. the nature of film? And I think that about Cherry is also like it's kind of a light story. It's not quite as personal. Yeah. So you know what I mean? Like it's different between like reading like uh, you know Cavalier and Clay and and Wonder Boys, where like one one story is just more external and one's more internal, and you kind of connect with the memoirist and you want to yeah meet that person. You feel like you know that person if you read that book. There's you something know? about reading because I think when people are doing it, it's in a, usually a very intimate situation. They're reading it in bed or they're. Uh, I think it can be done in the movie too. That's the only thing. Yeah, hmm. and that's what I'd like to do. Um, I wasn't trying to do that with Cherry, and it's just a different kind of movie. But I like with this movie, I would like to try to get there. Like, I mean, there are movies like that. There's movies like um, like Sherman's March. You know, you see that movie, and you're like, I've got to meet that guy who made that movie. I have to add that on my list. I haven't it's seen amazing. it yet. No? Yeah. Hmm. So. so now as an experienced director, can you give us like your top three movies you recommend people to? Oh, Sherman's yeah. March? Well, if you're... 
Sherman's March got me way up there. Sherman's March is actually the, the 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 piece of art that I felt was most similar to my book, The Adderall Diaries, and that was the thing I was always referencing when I was writing The Adderall Diaries was this movie, Sherman's March. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, I keep watching The Godfather over and over again. You know, yeah. I just watch it. Oh, I can never get tired of that movie. One or two? Are you a one or you two know? person? I'm I'm fully a one person. Me too. Yeah. I mean, as much as I love the Robert De Niro scenes in two, I think there's also a large chunk of that. Of two, that's you know maybe a little more unnecessary. Um, yeah, I don't know. A prophet maybe would be another one. That's kind of the French version of the Godfather. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, 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 Crazy Peter, a Pierre Lefou, the Godard movie is probably was actually really much smarter than me right now. But important to me, I'm, I'm I'll not. It's my list. I'm not actually that like esoteric of a film. You know, film guy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. my favorite movies tend to be movies that kind of meet at the intersection of of indie and Hollywood. Like they're smart like independent films and art films but they're fast paced like Hollywood films you know like Reservoir Dogs and yeah. Pulp Fiction and those kind of movies you know Layer Cake uh, I've got t- uh, 10 days off uh, until I have to go back to work and my goal is to get Saad to watch The Godfather she's just has she never watched it? She, she, we've it's watched crazy. like the first 10 minutes and she just uh, uh, and I'm telling her I keep telling her just give it time give it time hmm. wow I just like I, can, I, I know what's going to happen now and I've watched it 20 times I know I can kill 3 hours watching that movie any day it's just yeah. like yeah. it's perfect yeah. it's a perfect movie well uh, thank you so much Thank you. I'll let you know how it goes uh, getting uh, her. You've seen The Godfather. Maybe you could give sure. her a. You should be like, oh, you've got to see The Godfather. Maybe that would, she, I love she it. Listen to you. It's good. People I, listen to the mass cast to get, get recommendations on go, go see The Godfather, people. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, yeah. that's why you're here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got to do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you again for doing this. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Real pleasure. Thank you to Stephen and thank you to Mistress Alex. You can see all relevant details on the Mastercast website you can find a link to about Cherry find a link to Mistress Alex on Twitter Stephen Elliott on Twitter whole bunch more Mastercast.com we'll see you later bye bye interested in things i'm not a real doctor but i am a real worm